The difference is happiness is misleading. Happiness is a state change. You can go in that state. You can go out of that state. We get obsessed, as Christina says, to chase that state all the time. It's not right. But positive optimism is an awakening. It's an awakening, a transformational awakening that you can basically choose to eventually overcome. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. This presentation emerged from questions from you guys and from insights from some of the people here at AFES. Jay Shetty, for example, when we were talking, he said, "You know, Vishen, there are two types of longevity." It's about the years in your life, but it's also about the life in your years. Now, if you look at the Blue Zone data on Sardinia, okay, so this was an article from USA Today. This Italian island is home to the oldest people in the world. Here's their secret, and they speak about a lot of things, from moderate consumption to alcohol to goat cheese. But the biggest thing is apparently this: it has to do with how these people are coming together, being religious or spiritual. And the reason for that is because when you're religious or spiritual, you're coming together in a church, in a temple, having a life purpose. An interesting thing about life purpose is often it relates to other people. When you have grandkids, when you have family, it gives you purpose. Then you have older and younger people living together. Again, there it's really obvious to see the aspects of longevity derived when you have extended families and healthy social networks. Now, not all of this you can easily bring. To the Western world, for example, in America, people tend to live as nuclear families. Once you hit the age of 25 or beyond, you don't typically have your parents living with you. But how can we still create these really effective structures so that our longevity can be about the years in our life and the life in your years? But what's funny about what Jay said is that, you see, longevity is about the years in your life and the life in your years, but both relate to each other. The life in your years seems to increase your wellness, and thus the years in your life. Now, what I want to talk about here is how can we create these structures in our own atmosphere, in our own environment, that add life to our years through human connection. Now, what is the biggest area of life that almost all of you are immersed in, other than your family that creates human connection? It has to do with your company. All of you spend 70% of your waking hours at work. Raise your hand if you agree with me. Okay, it's a rough metric, but 70% is where we spend our waking hours at work. Now, of course, there are exceptions to that. When you're on maternity or paternity, you might be off work for a while. But in general, most people over here are spending 70% of our waking hours at work. How can we structure work to infuse us? With the well-being and the health benefits and the happiness, and to add life to our years so that we live longer. So we've been doing that at Mind Valley for a while, and I wanted to share with you some principles, some ideas that you guys can take home and apply to your own company. One of the unique things about Mind Valley is that we have a really, really, really tight team, and this team comes from some right now 49 different countries. We just hired our first employee from Iraq. And we just hired our first employee from Uganda, and this list and Trinidad and Tobago. I don't even know if that's one or two countries. So the list keeps growing and growing and growing. And one of the reasons for it is because of how we structure the company. We believe that work shouldn't just be about getting things done. 
Work should fuel happiness. It should fuel joy. It's reflected in the office spaces. And when you put all of this together, a really interesting thing happens. We get so many people applying to the company that we've actually had to say no to resumes. We say, look, if you want to apply to join the team, give us a video cover letter. And then we scan these video cover letters. We get 150 applications every week, and we choose maybe one out of 200 from these beautiful, powerful human beings who are so, so enthusiastic about joining the team that they effectively create a three-minute video, put it up on YouTube to talk about why they want to be part of our mission to change education. So we spend 70% of our working hours at work. Why shouldn't work be the healthiest, most communal, happiest, most fulfilling time of our lives? How can we engineer that so that this idea goes to every single person who's part of your team? And when you do that, I believe what happens is, is magic happens. Your company starts taking off, and more than that, you create loyalty, you attract the best people, and you and everyone else starts living longer. So I'm fascinated with the application of these ideas to companies because if you look at the studies out there, 54% of Americans, according to Gallup, say they dislike their jobs. And if you look at the studies out there, most people, their jobs make them sicker because of the stress, because of the anxiety. And then there's another phenomenon that's emerging right now, and that is the scourge of loneliness. Loneliness is up 300%. 50% of CEOs say they are lonely. And loneliness, doctors now say, is worse for your health than smoking and obesity. So think about that. If you are lonely, that's like basically having an addiction to cigarettes. It's like being obese. It has that dramatic an effect on your longevity and your well-being. So what I want to share here are five keys, where if you are the CEO, if you are the owner of the company, these five keys help you add life to your years, thus help you live longer. They help push away that aspect of loneliness. They help make your job more happy, more fun. But the side effect of these five keys is that they also influence everyone in your sphere. Now, these apply whether you're running a team, a community, they could apply to a school, if any of you are teachers. They could apply to service companies. They could apply to small businesses. It doesn't matter if you have a large team, a small team, if you're solo and making your first hire, or if you're building any sort of tribe. So feel free as you go through these ideas, pluck out what you want, stick it in your company or your startup, or if maybe you run a school, you can try applying these there. If you have any form of tribe, maybe you have your own conference, try sticking these ideas there. Now, there were so many ideas, and because I put this presentation in the last 24 hours, I couldn't really decide what were the best ones. So I went through a list of 22 best practices. I put them into five categories, and I'm going to share as many as I can with you. We won't go through all 22. We'll go through around 11. Now, I go fast. There's a lot of slides, and there's a lot of ideas. You don't have to capture and master all 11. If you get three of these, and you apply three of these to your company, these could create a remarkable shift. There's one particular idea here, studied by Harvard, that suggests it can cause as much as a 50% boost in revenue. And it takes two minutes a day. So, you guys ready to get started? Now, in my book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, I talk about this concept called rules. Rules are bullshit rules that we adopt to simplify our understanding of the world. So human beings are like lemmings. There's actually a study on this. It's called Mimetics and Social Conditioning. Because the world is so complex to understand the world, 
we look at other human beings, we see how they are acting, and we emulate them. So the first guy who comes and sits in a beanbag creates an emulation model for other people to come and pick a beanbag. But it happens a lot with life as well, and so often we emulate other things that other companies are doing, even if they don't make any sense. So here, what we're going to do is, I'm going to ask you guys to discard some of your ideas on how work should work. Think about perks, right? Forget that. Think about employees. Forget that. I'm going to suggest later on that employeeship is going to become obsolete. Think about company culture, and forget that. Because we're going to shift what we mean by company culture. Think about what is appropriate workplace behavior and toss that out the window. What I want to do is attempt to rethink work as if there were no established bullshit rules that we had to choose from, and approach work from the perspective of how can we lead productive lives, but in that 70% of our waking hours, make that the happiest, most fulfilling, most exciting. And most life-affirming points of our life. You guys ready? So I want you to know that there are a couple of myths that we first have to discard. And the myth is, it's not going to work for me. My business is too small, or my country is different, or the culture, you know, in my office, it's just never going to shift. Everything can shift with time. So what I thought I'd show you, because many of you have seen the glossy aspects of Mind Valley, I'm going to show you what those aspects look like. Three, four, five—sometimes ten years before the shift happened. So that idea—it's not going to work for me. Just put that aside for a moment. So when you think about Mind Valley, firstly, we have a remarkable team. That's the team that puts on A Fest, right? Remarkable team. We put on these massive conferences. Amazing people come from all around the world. Five-star resort. Incredible speakers like Jay Shetty and Ben Greenfield. But if you go back 15 years ago, in 2003. That was me running my seminar business. I was in New York. You can see I could barely afford pants. The table and chair that I'm working on, I basically salvaged from the street because you know, beautiful thing about New York neighborhoods. I, I lived in Hell's Kitchen. From that name itself, you can tell what the neighborhood is like. Hell's Kitchen. People, when they were done with furniture, they just put them out on the street side, and then other friendly neighbors would adopt that furniture. So that is an IKEA table. It's called the Lack Table. L-A-C-K. Even the name of the table symbolizes a lack of abundance. I kid you not. That table is actually called the Lack. L-A-C-K. Go Sweden. The chair, likewise, I found it on the street. And what I was doing back then is I was teaching meditation classes. So I would teach one class every month to around 20 to 30 people. That was it. I did that for five years. Five years. There was no idea of what a fest would eventually be, but that's where it started. And it was just me and Christina, right? Five years teaching these meditation classes, and in a good weekend, I'll make three grand. That's it. Three grand is nothing in New York, but I loved it. It was passion. And that's the first step. When you love what you do, it's easier to stay with it and continue growing it. Now that is how AFS really started. That is how I actually started becoming a teacher. Now here's another picture. That's our Mind Valley team today. Remarkable team, 49 different countries represented, and that's just our team in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. By the way, Kuala Lumpur is a developing country. So any of you from the developing country, no damn excuse. You can do this too. That is our team, though, in 2005. You can tell how old that picture is from the iMac on the desk. You can see. I don't know why we are posing with books and binders. I think maybe it's to make us look more intelligent. 
This is the Hall of Awesomeness. We have our own auditorium in the hottest neighborhood in Kuala Lumpur. When a new employee joins, they take what is called an oath of awesomeness on a statue of Wonder Woman. That's the auditorium now. It seats 150 people. We have had world leaders come and visit. But that's the auditorium 10 years ago. You can see that guy is taking an oath of awesomeness on a... Now we have a custom-designed Wonder Woman statue. That's basically a souvenir product I brought from a market in Greece and I painted to look like Wonder Woman. You can see our whiteboard and our projector are basically the same thing, and the plant behind my butt has precisely... One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality to health and wellness to relationship is that life is enormous, and there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You were just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. Eight leaves. We couldn't afford a plant with more than eight leaves. So again, you got to start somewhere, right? That is our office. Our offices win awards. They are beautiful pieces of interior design. That's our office that we opened up in 2012, inspired by Jules Verne and Steampunk. But that's our office in 2005, just seven years earlier. You can see that poor lady is using a couch as her chair and her chair as her table. I don't know what was going on there. Maybe lack of tables, lack of chairs. Maybe we just didn't know the proper way it worked. That's a Christmas card we sent our authors in 2012. That was the Christmas card in 2003. <laughs> I had no one on the team, so I adopted a dog from Australia and a cat that we got from a shelter in New York. Dressed them up. My cat still hasn't forgiven me. And that was the Christmas card. That's our kitchen and our diner. Beautiful space where people come and cook together and make healthy alkalizer shakes together. Our diner back in 2005 was basically that table with the best three-in-one coffee in packets that you can buy from Nestle. Amazing stuff. So what I'm trying to get at is that we all start somewhere. And being sucky and being small is okay. Because as long as you have a mind that's focused on where you want to get to, you will start evolving. And the problem with most businesses and most entrepreneurs is that they are so obsessed with the current reality, they forget to dream, they forget to think, they forget to create these visions that pull them and their team forward. That's one of the things we want to talk about. But the five keys, the five keys to shifting this culture in your company are this, positive optimism, connection, meaning, growth mindset, and giving. 
Now, we're going to go a little bit deeper, and in each of these five keys, I'm going to share with you a number of different practices. Let's start with the first one, okay? Positive optimism. Now, you may wonder, why didn't I put happiness? Why positive optimism and not happiness? So I was talking to Jason Prowl last night over dinner. I was just asking people. So Jason is the guy who did the documentary on longevity, and I was asking him, what's the deal with happiness? And as we were talking and I was gathering insights, I realized that a lot of us get confused by state changes and stage changes. States and stages. States and stages. Let me explain. Happiness is a state change. You can be sad one day. You can be happy the next day. Happiness goes up and down, and that's okay. And if you listen to Christina's talk from a few days back, she said that truly wise people know that it's not about getting rid of sadness, because there are days when we want to feel sad, when we need to feel sad. We want to bask in that sadness, but it's a state change. It changes. Now, positive optimism, on the other hand, is a stage evolution. Positive optimism means that you realize that the world is going to be okay, that everything is going to work out in the end, that even if you have temporary pain with your abilities, with your beliefs, with your mindset, you can overcome. So it is not the rejection of sadness, but the thought, even during sadness, that the future will be okay. And this is from Christina. The difference is happiness is misleading. Happiness is a state change. You can go in that state, you can go out of that state. We get obsessed, as Christina says, to chase that state all the time. It's not right. But positive optimism is an awakening, a transformational awakening that you can basically choose to eventually overcome. Now, why is this important, right? I realized that when you find people with positive optimism, they end up being the best people in your team. So there's this famous story about Zig Ziglar, and nobody knows if this is true, but it was written about and shared many times, and it doesn't matter if it is true, the moral of the story is really powerful. So Zig Ziglar, who was a famous motivational speaker who died a couple of years back, he went to a company, he assembled all the managers, and he said, look, I want you to tell me what are the qualities of your best employees. And the managers, they pushed forward for four hours, he wrote on a whiteboard all of these qualities, and he reached 107 different qualities. Then he pressed on. He's like, no, guys, we've got to go on for one more hour. And they reached 114. So now they had 114 qualities of good employees. He now went to each of these qualities, and he put an S for skill or an A for attitude. Skill or attitude. Now, here's the point he was trying to make. When everything was done, what they found is that about 100 of those qualities were attitude, and 14 were skills. Skills meaning good programmer, great accountant. Attitude was they're always happy. He's so helpful. He always lights up my day because he comes to work with a smile. He gives the best hugs. He is so focused on his work that it gets done no matter what the distraction. He's inspiring. So you guys see the difference? But the problem is, most of us don't think that way when we're building our teams, do we? So what Zig was trying to say is that you want to always hire for attitude and train for skill. Hire for attitude, train for skill. This was one of the biggest mistakes I made when I was starting out. I would hire really skillful assholes, and then they would just mess up the company. But the problem with that is, when these skillful assholes start messing up the company and bringing in bickering and politics and whining, it depletes the energy of everyone else. 
So what we started doing is hiring for attitude, hiring for people we want to be around. And those people, when they have positive optimism, they are continuously growing. So even if they are not a 10 out of 10 for skill, they might be a 7 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10. I'm not saying hire the 1 out of 10s, right? But what happens is those 7 out of 10s, within 6 months, they are a 10 out of 10. And as a bonus, they're bringing you that right attitude as well. So if you look at all the teams in Mind Valley, the people in Mind Valley tend to have amazing attitude. One of the things that a lot of you guys told me in the last couple of days is you loved meeting the Mind Valley people. They were helpful, they were kind, you could tell that they loved their jobs, they loved hugging each other and everyone else. It's because attitude is what we're going for. The skillful assholes, we try to eliminate them as fast as we can. Now, that was the first idea. So the thing I want you to write down is, hire for attitude, train for skill. Before you start creating your tribe, you have to nurture your tribe, and you've got to find and plant the right seeds and the right seeds will create the culture that eventually encapsulates your tribe. Now, when that culture is strong, you can take someone who maybe doesn't have all the qualities and you can plant them in that culture and they will bloom. Neil Donald Walsh has a really interesting saying, higher level consciousness will elevate anyone of lower level consciousness. If you have a high consciousness tribe, you can bring in someone who is maybe depressed, who is going through some lower level state changes and boom, they get healed. But it doesn't occur the other way around, right? If you have lower level consciousness and you bring on someone who is happy, who is dynamic, you actually infect them and they start getting depleted. So you always want to start by making sure that the highest level consciousness are joining your tribe. That's number one. Now, the second thing is, as you get them in, create connection. There's a famous study done by Harvard called Happy People Study. So they wanted to see what truly causes happiness, right? Is it warm weather? Is it having a great physique? Is it having a job that you love? It turns out there's only one thing that causes happiness, and it has a 0.7 relation to happiness, 0.7 correlation to happiness, and it is the strength of your social connections. Let me repeat that. The strength of your social connections. It means the people around you. So as I was talking to Jason Pral last night, I asked him, is it the social connections in Sardinia that cause longevity, or is it that the social connections cause happiness and happiness causes longevity? The truth is, we don't really know, right? We are still studying this. The science of happiness is a very recent phenomenon. But what we know is that when you have strong social connections, when you create them, you create happiness. And this happiness and the social connections together seem to create longevity in your people. So, how do you do that? Well, a couple of things. Social life, have tons of parties. We try to do this with all our authors. One of the reasons we have so many dress-up parties at AFES is because when we take our authors, who are our clients, right, like Ben Greenfield and Lisa Nichols, and we get them to dress up really crazy and cover themselves with body paint, it creates a different type of social connection. They no longer feel like Mindvalley is just a business partner. Mindvalley becomes part of a family. And so we extend this social connection to our authors. So many of our authors, their friends are people who work on the Mind Valley team. It creates a really healthy dynamic that's a win-win for everyone. Now, another way we do this is team retreats. So once a year, we take our entire team and we fly them to an island. Sometimes we like occupy an entire plane. By the way, funny thing about that photo, the people in the photo who are not smiling are the ones who don't work at Mind Valley. <laughs> They're at the team retreat. We basically create situations for people to connect. Again, social connectedness. I remember reading Richard Branson's book, 
And Branson's another guy, right? He's built an incredible company, and fun infuses everything in Virgin Brand. Look, that's me on Necker Island with Branson. You can see already, like, we're in togas, nip slips are happening. That's just how Branson rolls. Now, in his book, he says, and this should be part of every business plan. Have lots and lots and lots of parties, and the CEO should be the first person in the pool. So, CEOs, company leaders, note that. There's a reason for this. In Good to Great, the author Jim Collins says, when he interviewed all of these amazing people who worked for these great companies, he found that they loved what they did largely, largely because they loved who they did it with. So keep that in mind. People who love what they do largely love what they do because of who they do it with. Yet so many companies restrict that. We restrict our social connectedness. We kind of create these barriers to people truly connecting at work. But that's crazy because check out this study. This is from Gallup. Gallup found that people who answer yes to the question "I have a best friend at work" are 700% more engaged on their jobs. So the question for you is: Are you? Creating situations in your company where people can have best friends at work, close friendships at least. And could you indirectly be following some obsolete corporate rules that restrict that? Another way to do this: form positive contagion. So again, here is some science. Right, Sean Aker in the Happiness Advantage said that studies found that when leaders are in a positive mood, their employees are more likely to be in positive mood themselves to exhibit. Pro-social behavior towards one another and to coordinate tasks with more efficiently and less effort. It's really interesting. Things happen more efficiently when the leader is in a positive mode. So we have this unwritten rule in Mind Valley where if you are leading and you are having a sucky day, because remember, it doesn't mean that you're always happy. You are going to have sad days. All you do is you let your team know, guys. You know, I'm having a rough day today. It's not you guys. It's some personal shit I got to deal with. Just know that it has nothing to do with you, and that level of candor instantly switches things. Because if you don't have that level of candor, your sadness that whatever you're facing that day will directly infect the people on your team. And so this was one of the most important rules I learned the hard way that I had to be really transparent. And you don't have to say what's going on in your personal life. You simply have to say, guys, I got some personal shit I'm dealing with. Don't want to talk about it, but just know it has nothing to do with you. I'll be okay tomorrow. And that level of candor actually elevates team performance. Now, another thing we do is create these things in the office that basically get people to come together. Now, we call them culture days because we have so many different nationalities. Every two weeks, we celebrate a different culture, whether it's Malaysia or India. And these culture days are disruptive to work. It will take away two hours of work that day. U.S. Culture Day, like everyone, basically is drinking from little red cups, listening to country music. After 5 p.m., we allow people to bring alcohol into the office, even though our workday typically continues till 7. But what happens is that it actually, although it may cause a drop in productivity for that one day, it creates a massive boost in productivity for the entire year because people connect, friendships are formed, and what happens is emotional contagions happen. Positive people improve team members' performance, group performance, reduce group conflict, create more cooperation, and greater overall performance for task at hand. So this was by the famous psychologist Segal Basad. If you have positive people in a company, everything gets better. So you can make up your own culture day if you are monoculture. So here's an example: we once created a day called Tash and Heels Day, where everybody, every guy, just grew a mustache for two weeks. 
every woman came in heels. And then we set a photographer loose to just take photos of everyone that they get to share. So you can create your own like crazy, stupid, bizarre culture days. And who says that this is an acceptable corporate practice? What it does is it gets people to connect deeply by bringing weirdness into their lives. Now do you guys understand why tonight you're all going to be wearing a costume and covering yourselves in glitter and paint? You guys get that? Now, another thing that we brought into the workplace, and this one, a lot of people started following as well. It's called Love Week. So every week of Valentine's Day, we basically create a ritual where everyone in the company draws a name out of a hat, and then you have to be an angel to the person whose name you drew. But here's the trick. You can't say that you're their angel. So you have to go through other employees to do secret, random acts of kindness for them. Only at the end of the week can you reveal yourself as an angel. So for one entire week, you're showing up to work, and you're seeing all of these gifts and appreciation notes and all of these amazing things ending up on your desk, and you have no idea who's doing it. And your angel is roping in other people as their delivery boy. Check out this quick little video by Talia that gives you a peek of Love Week just three months back. So we have this tradition at Mind Valley. It's called Love Week. It's super cute. This is what people do, right? So you are an angel, and everyone has a human. And for the whole week, we just love on this human heart. Happy Love Week! We give them fruit platters, and it's all a surprise, and chocolates, and really funny notes and pens and we buy them lunch and they have no idea. So what happens is we get stuck in the bit of a love loop. It's like there's love coming from here and then there's love going there and it's just love, 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 love. Love Week is all about connection. It's about giving and being open to receiving. It's about bringing depth to the workplace and about caring and sharing, right? Thanks, bro. Look, it's business as usual, right? Like every other day of the week, we love here at Mind Valley. It's in our culture to hug and to kiss and to stare at each other. But we've gone on overload this week. It's like, with love. One of the really beautiful and naturally occurring elements of Love Week is all the surprises. You just never know when you're going to be ambushed with love. Oh, there are several of them too. <laughs> People get really creative and they think, how can I best express my love for this person? What can I do? I can go on Facebook, see what they're into, what's their favorite color, what's their favorite food. So it's like Sebastian, for example. He loves guacamole. And I just saw his angel delivered him guacamole. And he's like, <gasps> Guacamole, like his day is made. And why can't we do this every day? I don't know. But the thing is, for this one week, we just go on overload and it's the most beautiful thing. So this is one tradition that we have here at Mind Valley. So the great thing about Love Week is it's about appreciation in the workplace. And studies show that when people feel close to each other, when they appreciate each other, productivity goes through the roof. So every company should be doing this. Anastasia, happy Thank Love Week. Thank you so much. <laughs> As the Persian poet Rumi once said, love is the bridge between you and everything. So we invite you. Go and be the bridge. Go forth and spread this radical social movement with your friends and family and your workplace.
let's not just bring a smile to your face. Now, the thing is, anyone can do this. We've had companies, we've had departments in the government of Canada take on Love Week. We've had companies with five people take on Love Week. And we want to make it easy for you guys. Just Google Love Week, YouTube, you will find tons of videos that directly explain how to bring this into your company. And again, productivity will go down by two hours every day, right? You're literally telling your employees to take away two hours of their working time and spend it appreciating each other. But what you will find is that the ripple effect for that will cause a boost in engagement and productivity that will last the next year. It is amazing how incredible this works. So remember this study. If you can allow people to become close friends with their workmates, it is one of the single biggest things you can do to boost engagement. Now, another aspect of this idea of creating connection is what we would call frequent appreciation, right? Richard Branson said, like flowers flourish on water, people flourish on praise. Now, I know this sounds fluffy, so I thought I'd bring in some science. What I'm going to play for you guys is a three-minute video by Harvard psychologist and scientist Sean Aker on the power of appreciation. Now, this is a two-minute exercise that Sean is advising companies to do. Basically, he says, the managers to the company show up, they take an iPhone, they set a timer for two minutes, and in that two minutes, and this is the first thing they have to do when they start their job, they write an email of appreciation to another person in the company. When the two minute ends, they hit send. That's it. Two-minute exercise by Sean Aker, okay? Now, check out what Sean Aker says about what this has done for massive corporations and just have an open mind. Because as hokey and fluffy as it sounds, this is hard science. Happiness may be a choice, but it requires some effort on our part. And I think it requires effort both at the individual level, but also I think for those of us that, that own companies, those of us that lead other people, I think that we have not just a, a moral obligation, but a business obligation to make sure that the people on our team are in a positive state. I think at the individual level, one of the things we found huge success with is we started having individuals each day the managers oftentimes would lead this, but what we'd have people do at Facebook, what we had people do at Nationwide Insurance in the U.S., we had them every morning when they got into work, the very first task they had to do for 21 days in a row was to write a single two-minute positive email praising or thanking one person that they know. Simple two-minute positive email. So it could be something as simple as, thank you so much for helping me with my work yesterday. Or it could be something meaningful like, you're the reason why I come into work each day. You're my best friend here. Or it could be, you know, thank you so much for covering for me when I had so much work going on the other day. But in each one of those moments, what that person is doing is they're providing praise to somebody else. And if they do it for three days in a row, they get addicted to it because they think, how amazing they are for writing that email each morning. But the real value, and people start writing emails back about how grateful that they are to that person. But the real value is 21 days later, if we come back in and test the group that does it, if somebody did it for 21 days in a row, it turns out that their social connection score is in the top quartile of social connection. So a simple two-minute habit each day moved them exactly where people wanted them to be within these studies, which leads to not only levels of happiness, but promotion, productive energy, sales, all the things, every business outcome we know how to test for. So we did this in Nationwide Insurance. We were working with the president of Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, Gary Baker, who said he was a numbers guy. And he said, you know, I thought happiness research was fluff, you know, until we showed him the numbers and what we've been doing at these organizations. So he allowed us to do this intervention with his team. We did a couple interventions, but they think that this was the most powerful one. Over the next 18 months, they had a 50% rise in their revenue, which is crazy. 237% increase. Yeah, right. 
that's the incredible part. 237% increase in their application rates. Google flew out to see what they were doing. Their pharmaceutical company client came out to see how they're running their call centers. They started taking people off of their phones each day for 10 minutes so that they could actually have an opportunity to praise one another, to check in on a success that somebody else had had and switch the leader each day. They called them huddles. It turns out that they went from 650 million to 950 million in a single year with no new hires at that point, which was phenomenal. Isn't that data amazing? And by the way, Sean Aker, he wrote the book Happiness Advantage. He's a Harvard scientist. This was an actual experiment at Nationwide Insurance. And how many of you think that you could spend two minutes a day writing an email, right? So this is such a powerful idea. I cannot even express how amazing this is. Now, I hack it a bit. I use WhatsApp because we communicate a lot in our teams using WhatsApp, and I leave an audio message, right? Or I use emoticons. But you can do it in any way you want. It's about the feeling of appreciation. So that was concept number two, social connections. Now, Sean did say something there. He said... When people start doing this, they rise to the top 25% quartile of a company in terms of social connectivity score. This is a measurement that Harvard uses to identify who are the people in a company that typically get rated as the kindest, the friendliest, the most supportive. It's called social connection score. If you look at people like E. Valencia, right? Really high social connection score. He is here helping and supporting so many people. Now, what the Harvard study found is that people who are in that top 25% of social connection score are 40% more likely to get a raise than anyone else. 40% more likely. Now, when they found that they did this experiment with the two-minute appreciation, the people who are doing that, immediately, within one month, they go to that 25% quartile. So not only are they making their peers happier, indirectly, based on Harvard data, they just created a 40% better chance of them getting a raise. It's fascinating. But sometimes because it's so easy, we don't do it. And we bring in these high-priced business consultants and strategy consultants, not realizing that sometimes a two-minute practice that you can bring into a company can cause that company to go from 650 million to 950 million. It's all about culture, folks. It's all about the people. Now, We'll go on to the third point, which I really am excited about, and it's called infuse meaning. So human beings are goal-driven organisms. This means that one of the things that makes us separate from animals is that we chase goals. And it seems to be healthy for us to chase these goals as long as we're not tying our happiness to the goal, that the happiness is part of the journey. Japan has some of the longest living people in the world. And when I spoke to Jason Prowl, he said, you know, meaning is so key and crucial to everything in Okinawa, which is another one of the blue zones. Now, in Japan, there's this concept called Ikigai. And Ikigai, feel free to take a picture of that slide. It's a beautiful model of how to give people a reason for being. Ikigai translates to reason for being. The closest English word we would have to it would be meaning. But what we find is that when you bring these elements into work, passion, mission, vocation, profession, having people do what they love, do what the world needs, do what they can be paid for, and do what they are good at, you give them meaning. So, here's why this is important. Another Gallup study found that men who retire at 80, 86% kept working because they found their work fun, but 93% kept working because they found their work meaningful. Meaning directly seems to translate to longevity, to longevity at the job, too. These people continued working into their 80s because they found their job meaningful. So how do you do this, right? Well, 
Salim Ismail, in his book Exponential Organizations, coined a phrase called the massive transformational purpose. And it means companies that have an MTP, a massive transformational purpose to make the world better, they attract the best minds. They create the best motivation in the job. They create the highest rates of productivity because they give people meaning. See, the problem with most people is that their problems aren't big enough. The problem with most people is they're trying to figure out, you know, how do I lose this extra fat? Man, what is up with that guy who never texted me back? These are tiny problems, but they take away from people's true power and potential. So if you're running a company, what you want to do is give people bigger problems to solve. Can you solve clean water for planet Earth? Can you help improve human education? Can you help create healthier children? What problem are you trying to solve with your company? This guy does it remarkably well, Elon Musk. And in a study of Silicon Valley workers, the people who rank meaning the highest in terms of their jobs are the people who work for SpaceX and Tesla, number one and number two, both companies run by Elon Musk. Now, if you listen to how Elon Musk talks, you can see what he's doing. He infuses everyone with a massive transformational purpose. That picture was taken when me and Jim Quick went to SpaceX to have a private audience with Elon Musk. There were around 30 of us over there. And we asked him, right, what is SpaceX about? Now, SpaceX is essentially a rocket company that is a trucking company for the International Space Station. They take parts to put satellites up or to deliver things to the International Space Station, and it's a trucking company that vertically sends a truck up, a payload. But Elon doesn't talk about that. He doesn't talk about, oh, we send payloads to space. He says this. He said, my goal is to make mankind an interplanetary species because you never know when the next asteroid is going to hit planet Earth and wipe us out. Just like you back up your hard drive, I want to back up humanity on Mars. And he went on to say this, I don't know when it's going to happen. I'd say 10 years. In 10 years, we can start a colony on Mars. It was 2015 when he said this. And he also said this, he says, but you know, I'm known to be over-optimistic with time. Notice, he's speaking about something so powerful it rallies his troops. He doesn't have a clear timeline of when it's going to happen. They don't yet know how to get to Mars, but they know that they're going to figure it out. But even though he is not there yet, it's more than 10 years away. When he talks about his company, he talks 10 years in the future, and that rallies the employees. A key idea I learned from speaking to people like Peter Diamandis, speaking to people like Elon Musk is, when somebody asks you what your company does, when you're telling that story to prospective hires, don't say what you do now. Talk about what you're going to do in 10 years. It makes all the difference. I found that there was a flaw in our technology team in Mindvalley. Nine out of 10 people we gave an offer letter to rejected us because with programmers, it's super competitive. They have so many other offers. Lately, 75% acceptance rate. The difference, I asked the CTO and the engineers to let me do the final call with people. And in that final call, I don't interview them. I simply tell them how Mindvalley is going to completely reboot human education for one billion people and get humanity to humanity 2.0. That's it. It goes from a 10% acceptance rate, 75% acceptance rate. And I'm going to make it 100% acceptance rate because the best people in the world want to solve the world's biggest problems. So the key idea here is, don't talk about what your company does now. Listen to Elon. Talk about what your company is going to do 10 years in the future. What is that next level, that next evolution? And make them dream with you. 
Now, when you do that, you also start establishing mission reminders. So a mission reminder is anything that you put on the wall to remind people of what that mission is. You can't just speak about it at that opening interview and then forget about it. So one of the things we do, for example, is we have a blog called Customer Love, and we share stories on that blog of how customers' lives have been changed. When letters come in, when pictures come in, we just share it on the blog. Sometimes customers send us postcards, we stick it up on our refrigerator. But here's the thing. We share these testimonials not for other customers. They are for our employees. We want to remind our team members of the good work that they do. Okay, so that's point number two. Now, point number three, and this is a really key thing when it comes to like giving meaning. I decided to take what Elon was doing with the massive transformational purpose and ask us what happens if we could infuse this in every single team. So I found that there were certain teams in Mind Valley that were run by great managers, but the teams were not innovating, and these teams would have problems. They'd be low motivation people, high motivation people, sometimes drama. And I noticed there were other teams in Mind Valley that had no such thing. There was almost no necessary need for management. Steve Jobs said, "Great people don't need to be managed." So what was going on there? Why is it that certain teams were having? Drama and low performance and stagnation and process breaks and other teams were just crushing it. And I realized the difference was in the leader. Very often, in some cases, the leader was thinking pure management. I need to make sure that everybody knows their job role. Everybody has a JD. Everybody is following process. And in other teams, the leader operated as a visionary. I want to be the best. And their whole idea on that team was, we're going to do the best work. Now, if you look at the team that runs events in Mind Valley, they operate in the terms of the best. I don't know how Laura manages the team. I don't know how Cardi manages the team. I've never looked at their spreadsheet or their to-do list, but I know that every year they push themselves to do something good. When they were executing one AFES, they came to me and they said, "Hey, we want to take AFES to Asia. Can we do two a year?" When they were doing two a year. The next idea was: Can we launch Mind Valley University? Let's take on university. Let's do a 30-day program. After they launched Mind Valley University a few months ago, Ola came to me. She's like, "Vision, in addition to everything else I'm doing, I want to expand Mind Valley to Dubai because for us to be re- truly great, we got to tap into the Arab market." The team doesn't quit. I have no idea how their processes work, but what I know is the DNA of the team is wired around. Being the best, creating an event company that says great or better than TED, as great or better than Tony Robbins, and this rallies everyone else. And the funny thing is, it doesn't cause more stress; it causes more excitement, more enthusiasm. Work disappears because people have meaning. So I went back to Mind Valley this past month and I started switching things around. I said, okay, the leader of the team cannot be the manager. The manager is going to be the process holder. The manager will ensure processes are happening. The leader has to do some management, but the ultimate definition of a leader is that they want to be the best. If you lead films and design at Mind Valley, your job is to create the best films and design in the education industry. If you are working on apps, your job is to create the number one learning platform in the world. If you're running Mind Valley, you your job is to be better than Harvard in 10 years, and that changes everything. So. Can you take the departments in your company and spark in them this idea to be the best? Peggy McCord, who worked with Reed Hastings in Netflix to create the Netflix culture, right? She wrote a really amazing book that came out recently. The book is called Powerful, and Peggy says this. She says all this thing about empowerment is bullshit. 
Your people are powerful as soon as they walk in through the door. What you got to do is give them a way to channel this power. And the best way to get people to channel that power is to give them meaning, to give them a goal, to tell them, hey, let's be the best at what we're doing. Can you guys see how powerful this is? So make your teams, give your company a massive transformational purpose, an MTP. You can learn about that in the book, Exponential Organizations. Then go to every single team and say, okay, to get to that MTP, we need to be the best. The best design, we need the best art, we need the best filmmaking, we need the best customer support. And watch what happens to your company. Now, the fourth thing is nurture a growth mindset. As you're doing all of this, you want to remember to make your people grow. When I was young, I loved this quote on leadership. It was from Dwight Eisenhower. Leadership is getting other people to do things you want done because they want to do it. But now I realize that that is actually a kind of dumb, outdated model of leadership because it's the kind of leadership that could get a president to get a million men to march into a dumb war. So we believe that a better definition for leadership, and this is what we use as our leadership credo at Valley, is this. Leadership is recognizing that we are all one, that every person you lead is as brilliant as you, as talented as you, and has the same capacity for growth and accomplishment. They simply need to be reminded of this. And so what we do then is we ensure that everyone in the company is growing and we remind them of their greatness. Now, there are many ways you can do this. The best way is helping people establish a personal vision for themselves. This author, Bill Jensen, said, and Bill came to visit our company in Kuala Lumpur, and I asked him, Bill, what is the future of work? And he says, the future of work is this. It's about getting employees engaged, not just about getting employees engaged in the company vision. It's about getting the company engaged in the employee's vision, getting the company to identify how does each employee want to grow, and then helping create a conducive environment where these people can grow. And yes, sometimes people will grow so fast they will leave you. But when you create a reputation as the company that created all of these heroes, guess what? More people want to join you. Recently, we had an incredibly amazing, talented woman in Europe write to us to say that she was prepared to quit her job and come and join Mindvalley. And I asked her why. And she was in Estonia, and she says, well, because I follow Kadi Oya on Facebook. Kadi is our head of Mindvalley, you. And she says, and I am shocked by how much Cardi has evolved and changed and grown in just one year. And I want a piece of that. And so many people don't grow their employees because they're afraid that it means that they're going to go start their own organization or their own company. We don't have that fear because we know that when you grow people, what happens is that you get so many other people lining up outside your door to want to be part of that company. And when you give people a massive transformational purpose, all of that growth, all of that power, they get to use it in your company. Often, people leave not because of anything else other than the fact that they want a bigger challenge. When you put them in charge of a team and you say, make this the best, you give them what human beings crave in life, meaning, significance, purpose. It's not just about, oh, you know, I need to leave and become an entrepreneur. That's often a bullshit excuse for something else that's happening under the surface. So how do we do this? Well, there's a formula in Mindvalley called the three most important questions. It helps people separate means goals and end goals. Raise your hand if you've heard of the 3MIQ, right? So most of you have. Now, basically, we help people create a bucket list for experiences, for growth, for contribution, and then each connects to the other. Experiences are, what experiences do you want in the world? Growth is, well, to have these experiences, such as, say, biking across South America for one month, 
how do I need to grow? I need to learn how to ride a bike. I need to learn Spanish. And then the final one is contribution. If I was the guy who could afford to bike across South America for 30 days, speak Spanish, get to know cultures, how can I also contribute? Well, maybe I can spend one day every week of that month volunteering at an orphanage somewhere in a South American country. You give people this refined bucket list. So we do it with our entire team, right? But then here's what we do. When they create this bucket list, we stick this on a wall and everybody gets to see what everyone else is doing. Now, what we find is that mysterious things happen. As people start putting this on the wall and sharing it openly with the rest of the company, their goals just seem to come true. This guy, Ronan, was very inspired to go into health and wellness. And then he also wrote that he wanted to speak at TED. You'll see that over there. What happened was, within a couple of months, he took part in this competition called the Viper Challenge. He came in number one out of 20,000 competitors. Next thing you know, he is like this incredible athlete in Kuala Lumpur. Next thing you know, he's been invited to speak on the TEDx stage in KL. He does so well, he gets invited to speak at TEDx in Paris. Boom, boom, boom. His goals get accomplished. This one is from someone many of you know. He started out as an A-fester, joined our team. When he came in his first week, he did this as his three most important questions. And one of the things he wrote down is, become a world-class speaker, teach entrepreneurship, sales, and living awesome. Now, what happened was, this dude, Jason Campbell, he was working with audio and AV backstage at A-fest in Croatia a few years back. And one of our speakers fell sick. So we had 20 minutes to fill. And Jason came to me and Jason said, Vision, put me on stage. I'm like, Jason, I can't put you on stage. This is freaking A-fest. You've got to be a world-class speaker. He's like, Vision, I've been working on this speech for like a year. Just give me a break. Just put me on stage. So I put him on stage apprehensively, and you guys voted him best speaker. Now, not only has he spoken on stage at A-fest, but he has his own show on Mind Valley membership where he teaches, guess what? Sales and entrepreneurship and living awesome. This lady, Luminita, was a blogger working for Mindvalley. She wrote a blog post, and nothing happened for a while, but on her three most important questions, she had written that she wanted to be a world-class author, get a publishing deal, and you know, lots of like, amazing things over here about traveling around the world, writing, and so on. In six months, her blog post started taking off. Pure randomness. And it went on to become the single most viral personal growth post ever shared on Facebook with 1.2 million shares. It was called 15 Things to Give Up to Be Happy. Next thing you know, she gets a call from Penguin, and they offer her a book deal, and her book was recently published. Of course, she quit Valley because now she's a full-time author, but we are proud of her. And because of her, so many people in Romania hear her story and now apply to Valley. This kid from Sudan at 22 wrote his three most important questions and said that someday he wants to speak at world-class institutions in the United States. His blog got popular. His blog led to a book, My Islam, and it's about how digitization is bringing democracy to the Arab world. The book got voted on Foreign Policy magazine as one of the top 25 must-read books of 2013. He was 26 years old. Next thing you know, he's speaking at Google. He's invited to be on the Bill Maher show, 26 years old. And he did this exercise at 22. And that's literally what we have in our office, a giant vision board with everyone's 3MIQ. It's almost like a blueprint for the soul. You get to truly understand how other people want to live their life. And then what happens is, you know, so that's Ezekiel, who is here. He's our CHRO. And people will go and they will look at each other's 3MIQ and they will look for commonalities and then they will create shared experiences. So Ezekiel and these three other Mind Valley people decided 
to hike the Himalayas together because he found these three additional people had written visit Nepal or hike the Himalayas. Now, what I want to do is give you guys a gift so that you can bring this into your company. So, if you download the Quest app on Mind Valley, download Quest app from Google Play or the iTunes Store, or you can even download it from Apple TV, or you can go to mindvalley.com/quest. It's on every format. Click on Discover, and you'll see Extraordinary by Design. This is a 17-day quest. So it's 20 minutes a day, and it trains you on the process. So you can go home after AFES and do this, and it also is something that you can play in your company and train your employees on the process. So all of them do this exercise, and it's completely free. Now, what we do is we go deeper under experiences, growth, contribution. We go deeper into like what is growth, health and fitness, intellectual, your skills, and people set really detailed goals in all of these categories. So. Don't worry about mastering it now. Just know the power of this, and you can get it from mindvalley.com/quest completely free. Okay, now the final thing is giving. I'm going to skip this one. Group personal growth, but group personal growth is basically we take our people into seminars together. That's Mind Valley team going through Lifebook. The final thing is giving, and when we look at longevity studies, often meaning and social connections comes. From this act of compassion, from kindness, from giving, from supporting other human beings, Neil Donald Walsh, who spoke at Mind Valley U last year, had a quote that suddenly took off and became the most popular quote I think we've ever shared on stage at Mind Valley. And that quote is, "Your life is not about you; rather, it's about the lives of everyone you touch." And that quote emerged because. A Mind Valley U student asked Neil, "Neil, what's the best way to overcome depression?" He's like, "Well, stop making your life about you. You want to overcome depression? Go and start helping other people. You will never be able to be depressed again." He said, "When you live life making your life about other people, all the drama and the icky feelings that you know sometimes pop up, the state changes, they actually start disappearing because your life has this greater meaning to itself." So here's what you can do. Now, Sean Aker already gave a hint, right? The two-minute appreciation exercise. Do you guys like that one? So here's another one. So remember the three most important questions. Now, I want to wrap this up with the most powerful single idea here. So you have this giant vision board in your office with everyone's three most important questions. Now, you as the CEO or the founder or as the leader of a team, go to the people whom you most closely work with. And take a photo of their 3MIQ. So I literally have everyone's 3MIQ on my phone. Okay, so everyone's 3MIQ is on my phone. Now what I do is, when I go to a bookstore, I pick up a 3MIQ and I see, okay, so this one is for Elvira, right? So I look at this and I'm like, how can I support Elvira? And I noticed that she had something here in her 3MIQ which was about living in Italy. It's somewhere here. Live in Italy for a year. That's it. So what I do is at the bookstore. I buy her a book, Italy, and then I write a little note in the book, and it's completely random. I don't even know her that well. She was a new hire. Read your 3MIQ. I want you to know we believe in your dreams. When you live in Italy for a year, hope you find this lonely planet guide useful. That's it. Now, how long did that take me? Well, it took me about 25 bucks to buy a book, maybe 10 minutes of my time to choose the book and write a note. But with that 20 bucks and 10 minutes of my time, you completely change the dynamic. Of the entire company, you see, if you're leading a team, if you're leading a company, one of the greatest things that cause dissatisfaction, that break attitude, 
is that all of us have some form of self-esteem doubt. No matter how strong we are, I have self-esteem issues. All of us do. And sometimes when we get criticized, we think it's about us. So I know that there's going to be a point when Elvira is going to turn in something that's subpar, and I'm going to go, Elvira, this isn't good enough. And she's going to think, oh man, he doesn't like me. Oh man, I'm just not good. But by knowing that I bought her a book, that I cared about her, when this moment happens, she's going to know that it's not her. It's not me being an asshole. It's the process. It was that temporary slice of work that she did. And she can change that. She can correct that. She can do better the next time, but it's not her. We eradicate people's self-esteem because we let people know in full physical proof form that we care. And this is the single most powerful tool I've done. And I've seen, I've actually split tested this. So I know this sounds cruel, but there are certain people I didn't buy the gift for, certain people I did get the gift for. And then three months later, the relationship is so different. And all it takes is 20 minutes. And you're really showing people that you believe in them before they can believe in themselves. Now, what's the science on this? Well, check this out, right? Gallup study on 10 million employees. People who answered yes to the following question, my supervisor or someone at work seems to care about me as a person. These people were found to be more productive, contributed more to profits, and were significantly more likely to stay with the company the next year. And as you start doing this, the most beautiful thing happens. In Mind Valley, we call it the multi-headed dragon. Mind Valley, unlike many other personal growth companies, even though it started with me as the teacher, is not about me. I am not the face of many divisions of Mind Valley. You have Ajit as the face of Mind Valley Teach, Kadi as the face of Mind Valley You, Laura runs AFES. People like Ola and Kadi and Dorota will speak on stage and get standing ovations at Mind Valley events. We create leaders at a really, really, really high level. And you know, on the pre-day event when me and Eric Strauss were talking about scaling up and ideas for entrepreneurship, I said, pay attention to how we build people at Mind Valley, because by the time you leave AFES. If you leave any other conference, you know, by a single speaker, you will know the speakers and you will know the owner of the conference, but you won't know their team. But at Mind Valley, it's different. By the time you leave this, you will directly know people on my team. You will know their names. You will be hanging out with them. You will have an informed appreciation of them. You will connect with them and not necessarily me because we create leaders at that crazy rapid rate. So we call it the multi-headed dragon because we can grow because we're investing so much in growing different leaders and different heads. So if you just look at this picture, you'll recognize so many remarkable leaders, right? And they tend to be the ones who have been with us the longest time. Laura since 2012, Miriam in and out since 2010, Cardi for around four years. And when you go to Mind Valley U, you will see them on stage. You will see them in the PR articles. And that's really what this is about. It's about turning your company into a tribe, making your company a way where people get positive optimism and it's a de facto way of working where they get deep, meaningful connections. Their jobs give them meaning. They are perpetually in a growth mindset, so they are actually healing and growing while working in the company. And finally, you give people a reason to give. And when you do that, not only do you create a really high-functioning tribe, but the greatest thing happens. Your work becomes an act of healing and transformation for everyone involved in your organization. So remember Jay Shetty's words, right? It's not just about the years to your life. It's about the life to your years. And work, which is where we spend 70% of our waking hours, needs to be completely overhauled and turned into something as powerful and effective and soothing for our lives as, say, a beautiful spa treatment or a beautiful weekend at AFES. Thank you, guys.
Vishen Lakhiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? Your relationships. How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of a hundred and fifty thousand of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.